There shall be showers of blessing. Amen. And I'm glad most of it came down as showers instead of white stuff today. Amen. Let's sing it out. There shall be showers of blessing. This is a promise of love. There shall be seasons refreshing. Sent from the Savior above. Showers of blessing. Showers of blessing we need. Mercy drops round us are falling. But for the showers we bleed. There shall be showers of blessing. Precious reviving again. Over the hills and the valleys. Sound of abundance of rain. Showers of blessing. Showers of blessing we Round us are falling, but for the showers we plead, there shall be showers of blessing. Send them upon us, O Lord. Grant to us now a refreshing. Come and now honor thy word. Showers of blessing. Showers sing that forth this is the last there shall be showers of blessing oh that today they might fall now as to God we're confessing now as on Jesus we fall showers of blessing showers of blessing we need mercy drops round us are falling but for the showers we Verily I say unto you, let's sing it out. Oh, what a Savior that he died for me. From condemnation he hath made me free. He that believeth on the Son, said he, hath everlasting Son, tis true. 
Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful message in your word, the greatest message known to mankind, that we can be reconciled to a holy God. Lord, that you have paid the price of our sinfulness. And Lord, you give to us the opportunity to actually come into your presence and allow us to honor and worship you. Lord, we ask that you would bless Brother Monette as he preaches tonight. Lord, feed us from your word. Strengthen us. Make this time a time where your name is lifted up. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. And uh, I know we're in the middle of a series, but if uh, I had been thinking a little bit further ahead than the uh, next uh, bag full of dust out of the basement, I would have told you last week uh, that Brother Monette was here and we would be having him speak. Um, we're going to ask you not to go down, but you would not believe what they have gotten done in the basement this week. Uh, you've heard me talk about this taping job and all of this. They're, they're putting up the primer. Yeah, it is all done. In fact, not only did they do that, they the primer in the big room where, uh, Norman, I didn't see how far you got, but I, I know you're like three quarters of the way done, right? Something like that? And so um, uh, I talked to the tile man. Uh, you need to pray for Sam Thompson. He is on his way to New York City tonight. And uh, he'll be here tomorrow afternoon. Uh, he'll get here just about uh, the height of rush hour. And so uh, he'll ought to in, learn to enjoy our city quickly, pulling his little trailer full of tools and all those kinds of things. Uh, uh, men, we still, ha I told you Sunday, put in the bulletin, uh, we may need to have a work day Saturday. Uh, we need to have a work day Saturday, all right? And so, uh, 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 guys, if you can be here, we'll try to get started about between 8.30 and 9 o'clock, and uh, we'll have the coffee pot on and some bagels and a few other things there, and, and uh, we've just got to put things back in order, but... Uh, those of you that come Sunday, you will not recognize the downstairs. Uh, walls that were there are no longer there, and the walls that are there weren't there last week. And so uh, it's going to, it is a, I believe it's going to be a vast improvement. And so just, um, and I don't know if you can tell, but I am thoroughly excited and exhausted uh, all the work that is being done. And uh, uh, men, if if we can get a couple of you to come tomorrow night uh, and give us a hand tomorrow night and then Saturday morning, we should be ready for the tile guy. It might just slip under the wire there. And so, and once the tile guy leaves, we're going to take a couple days off, amen? And so, uh, you keep us in prayer. Keep Brother Shaw in prayer. Uh, I don't know if anybody saw him. He looked like he had poochy lip disease, and that's uh, he was pulling on a piece of conduit. And uh, 16 stitches later, uh, he's uh, he's doing pretty well. He said, "Are you working tomorrow, Brother Montoro?" I said, "Yeah." He says, "Well, pick me up. I'm ready to go." So uh, you can't tie him down. So we're gonna 
you pray for us. Pray for Brother Shaw's healing. Things are going real well. Uh, it was uh, not near as serious as it could have been. Uh, but you'll probably have a nice little mark there to re- on his lower lip there to remember uh, this job by. But uh, So uh, that's what's going on there. So keep those things in prayer uh, if you would. And if you're able to give us a few extra hours there, help. Uh, we will gladly appreciate it. And uh, like I said, I, I, I should have told you last week and, and put it in the bulletin Sunday, but uh, Brother Monette is going to be preaching tonight, and so we're going to sing one more song and then just turn the service over to him, and uh, we thank them very much, drove the whole way down from Montreal, let's stand together, and uh, let's turn to page number, I got it written here somewhere, 342. 342 Only a sinner Let's sing all four verses Not have I gotten But what I received Grace has bestowed it Since I have believed Boasting excluded Pride I have Can you say amen? amen? Hey, that's working out pretty good. Let's try that second one. Once I was foolish and sin ruled my heart, causing my footsteps from God to depart. Jesus had found me happy, my case. I now am a sinner, saved by grace. Only a sinner, saved by grace. to those words you just sang. I mean, aren't you glad that God isn't concerned about all of these things that so much religion is concerned about? Amen? That he wants, you know, some religions, they tell you to do this. Other religions, they tell you to do that. All I got to do is come to Jesus and he does all the work. I love this. It says, sin had alarmed me. Fearing God's face. You see, when I really understand what sin is, I understand how far from God I really am. But where am I going to get it fixed? The very person I'm afraid of. Amen. Isn't that a wonderful truth? 
Let's sing that last verse. Suffer a sinner whose heart overflows. Suffer a sinner whose heart overflows. Loving his Savior to tell what he knows. Once more to tell it would I embrace. I'm only a sinner saved by grace. Only a sinner saved by grace. privilege and to count Brother Monette as one of my friends. He's one of the few people that can put up with me. Amen. Amen. And uh, and uh, next week we're going to be leaving Thursday night right after church. And uh, right now there's about seven of us, I think, signed up to come. And uh, we'll be driving up to Montreal Thursday night for the men's meeting. And that's going to be at Brother Monette's church. And uh, very much uh, looking forward to that time, and uh, and uh, I can't believe I, Brother Monette gave me some dates when we were down at uh, Heartland in January, and and I looked at him and I said, okay, I think these dates will work, and then I said, wait a minute, that's the week before the men's conference, and uh, they have been down here working. Uh, I don't know what you. I mean, it's. Uh, the pace they've been keeping will kill you. <laughs> and uh, uh, But uh, praise the Lord, it is, uh, it is almost uh, completely finished. they got so much more. It's taken, I don't even want to think about how long it would have taken us to do that on our own. And uh, so, Brother Monette, come and preach to us. And uh, the water is yours. It's good and fresh. So. far a lot of backbenchers here would you mind coming a little closer that'd be kind thank you very much I appreciate that I like to see people's faces In our uh, church building, we blocked the uh, last rows. Uh, nobody can sit there. We put ropes and keep the people closer. Well, um, this is going to be um, more of a teaching lesson rather than preaching tonight. Um, but first, I want to say thank you to uh, uh, the Montrose for taking good care of us. Um, she's a tremendous cook, and we've uh, appreciated the food that kept us uh, going for the hard work we had to do. But uh, we've enjoyed um, being able to do that and be a help to uh, this ministry here. We care for you. We pray for you. And I would just uh, uh, 
excited about what God is doing here in this uh, very special city, uh, we must say. And uh, Montreal, we compare it uh, somewhat to New York, except uh, on a one-tenth scale of what the city here is. So, But there are many uh, similar similarities uh, in our city, so we uh, relate well to uh, the city here. Well, if you have a Bible, would you open it to the book of Isaiah? And, um, yeah, we sound a little tired um, after a, a good week, full week. But uh, we're glad it's all done. We wanted to really have the job completed, and praise God, he uh, gave us the strength to do that. Isaiah chapter 6, if you would uh, please stand uh, to honor the reading of God's Word. And uh, I'll read the whole chapter, so bear with me, please. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and His train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings, and twain, with twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongues from off the altar. He laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not. And see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert, and be healed. Then said I, Lord, how long? And he answered, Until the cities be wasted without inhabitant, and the houses without men, and the land be utterly desolate. And the Lord have removed man from far away, and there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. But yet, in it shall be a tent, and it shall return, and shall be eaten. And the tail tree, and as an oak whose substance is in them, when they cast their leaves, so the holy seed shall be the substance thereof. Let's pray. Father, thank you for gathering us in your house this evening. 
Father, what a hard message this prophet had to go and present to the people that he was from. And Lord, uh, help us to consider these words and also consider our ways. And Father, if we fall in the same situations where oftentimes we hear the word of God but we don't necessarily receive much from it because we don't see as we ought to. Lord, you have given me this message for this occasion. May it meet the need tonight. May your spirit have freedom to Speak to our hearts. Take the hardness of our hearts away. Give us humble minds and hearts to receive what you have for us tonight. In Christ's name we ask. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, this is... um, I know it's a text that is often used in missions conferences, and we stick to uh, mainly the, uh, the first part that talks about the vision that the, pre- the prophet had here and uh, how that the Lord has um, used that vision to show him who he was and then uh, seeking someone who is going to go and tell the people the message God has uh, for them. And um, I'd like tonight to maybe go into the the context of this uh, text here that we just read and see why it came about. Why did the Lord uh, give give a vision to the prophet and showed his holiness the way he did uh, at the death of a king uh, that ruled for 52 years. He's one of the kings that ruled the longest in Israel. And uh, he did a lot of good things. So we're going to see that uh, in a few moments. But God talks about the fact that the message will be preached. But the people, even though they hear, and he says, indeed, and they see indeed. But then... The result is not there. So when he says in verse 9, nine, Hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, and, uh, uh, but perceive not. The message is understood. It's, the problem is not in the understanding of the message. It's not necessarily seeing uh, the expectation that God has in our lives. The problem is the action is not there. We're not doing what we should, what, what, what we hear, what we understand from God's Word. There's a hardness of heart in Christianity today in the fact that we have so many things going in our lives that God, you know, He's a part of it, but He's not necessarily uh, at the top of the list in our priority. Uh, we don't love Him necessarily with all of our strength, all of our might, all of our... Uh, soul and spirit. Yeah, we go to church. We'll read our Bible and pray and 
do things like that. These people did that, by the way. We're going to see that in our text. But somehow, God was not satisfied with that. And I believe that the reason that God showed His holiness, and when God showed His holiness to the prophet, the first thing that comes out of His mouth that He realizes, He's undone. He's got unclean lips. And He lives in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And you know what made their lips to be unclean? It's because they were saying things that in practice did not really match. We say we love the Lord. We say that we believe in the Word of God. But many times our actions prove the contrary. And it's sad. And these people heard the Word of God. Indeed. They really understood the meaning of those words. But they weren't paying too much attention to it. And it's the case. It's the reality that we face nowadays. God is looking for somebody who is going to go and tell the people a message knowing ahead of time they're not going to receive it. You're going to preach it. They will hear it, understand it, but they're not going to be doing anything with it. They won't let the Word of God preach to them, convert their heart, change their ways. Why? Because people are so set in their habits, in their ways, that the Lord, even though He brings them the way out of their sins, out of their iniquities, out of their lack of righteousness. They're not receiving it. But God says, there'll be a remnant. There'll be a tenth part of the people that will do something with what they will hear. God has always uh, had a, a, a remnant somehow that received the message and did what He expected them to do with it. Now the question is, are you going to be part of that remnant in this, your generation, our generation? What are we doing with the things that we know from the Scriptures? Do we justify ourselves for not doing what we know we should be doing? I'm afraid oftentimes that's the case. Now it says here in verse 1, The year that the king Uzziah died... I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face and with twain he covered his feet and with twain he did fly. They covered their faces. They covered their feet. They felt unworthy to look at the holiness of God. They covered their feet for walking in a ungodly world. It says there, one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. 
You know that God, God says He's holy and He wants us to be holy? Paul taught the church of the Thessalonians that God's will for our life is sanctification and holiness. Sanctification means that we are set apart for God. If we are set apart for God as we ought to, you know, we should not have to say to people that we are a Christian. They ought to be able to see it. Just by the way that we act, the way that we speak, the way we look. We ought to be different. If we're not to be conformed to this world, if we are uh, so attached to God, so centered on Him, if God is our priority, it's going to come out somehow in our speech. People around are going to realize soon that our goal in life is not to make a good living, is not to accumulate the things of this world, but it's to live for God. It's to be a testimony for God, for His glory, for His sake. He's holy. He wants us to be holy. He wants us to live righteously. The house was filled with smoke. And then the prophet realized, woe is me. Woe is me. Many times we come in the house of God like it's nothing. And we don't realize on which ground we are. You know, the church is the house of God. It's a pillar and ground. God says very plainly, that's the house of God, the church. And if God is there, and, and I hope that we're coming with the idea that we're coming to meet the Lord. So if we come in God's presence, do we come with this fear in the heart like the prophet had and say, woe is me, I'm undone. I've got sins in my life that are displeasing to God, but I'm coming in God's presence hoping that He will remove my iniquity. I want to hear from God. I want God to speak to me. I want God to show me what He hates and make me hate it as much as He does. I want to look more like my Savior. I want to be like Him. I want people that when they see me, they see one that is Christ-like. We call ourselves Christians, but are we really? Are people, when they look at us, do they see somebody who's like Christ? Or are we just so pleased to say it, but not necessarily live it? or live up to it. The problem here is that there was no one to tell them. In that generation, the message was not going out. And God is looking for somebody who is going to see the holiness of God and tell the people about the holiness of God and bring them to understand that God is holy and He's expecting for us to also be holy if we are going to use His name on us. Be ye holy, for I am holy, saith the Lord. So, 
God has made provision off the altar. The angel, the seraphim, took a coal in his hand and he brought it and touched the lips of the prophet. And he says, Thine iniquity is taken away, thy sin purged. God has made provision for us. Then who will go for us? And he says, Us. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Then said I, Here am I, send me. And then he gives them the charge. Go and tell this people. And he's telling him ahead of time. They are not going to receive the message. And you will see why. What kind of a believer they were. In, in that generation because that I think that's the whole point of the matter here if we're going to understand this text here we need to understand the context in which these things were said of God see God chose a timing to give this vision to the prophet when King Uzziah died because God does everything he does with a purpose and now he's telling him they're not going to receive the message because they're afraid that they could be converted and I would heal them. That's kind of strange, you know, for a statement to say, I don't want to listen to the message because if I listen to the message and do something with it, I'm going to be converted. I'm going to be healed. My ways are going to change. I'm going to be more like God, more like God wants me to be. And somehow, this is not what we want. And yet, we want to claim that we belong to God. Don't you think there's a contradiction there? Who is he speaking to? Who did Jesus spoke to when he used the very same words of Isaiah? Who did you think Paul was speaking to when he used those same words of the prophets? We see the very same words used couple of times in the New Testament, don't we? In the parable of the sword, Jesus said, he quoted this portion of the scripture here as he was speaking to people that were hearing the word of God. But some did not understand, did not seek to understand, and nothing, the word of God was Useless, not producing anything in their lives. And others, oh, they would believe for a period of time. But as soon as there was uh, some tribulation, uh, a little pressure because of the word, living up to the expectation of the word of God, they would fail. Others, they would use all kinds of circumstances of the life, this life, to justify for not allowing the word of God convert them. And heal them, change their ways. And then he talks about some where the word of God fell into good ground and produced some fruit to maturity. To maturity means that the fruit was growing and growing and growing until it was ripe and usable, edible. Good. 
enjoyable. Are we enjoyable to God? You know, anyone can call themselves a Christian. And there are many today that use that. And they hear the word of God and they come to church like you are tonight. But does that change something really in our everyday life is the question. I'd like to take you back to Isaiah chapter 1. And here's how the book starts. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Now, the first king, Uzziah, reigned for 52 years. His son, Jotham, reigned for 16 years. Ahaz followed him. His grandson also reigned and ruled for 16 years. And Hezekiah ruled for 29. You talk about a long ministry. Because Isaiah preached through the days of all these four kings. I don't know that he was there for the whole duration of the 52 years of the reign of the first king. And he didn't have to be there for the whole duration of the 29 years. But he was there at least for 14 years in the, the reign of Isaiah because that's when God said he would die and then he cried and wanted more years and God gave him 15 years. So he sent back the prophet and told him, I'm adding 15 years to your days. And then the prophet's mission could have been done anytime after that. But if you count twice 16 once at least 14 or 15 years plus some years in the reign of Uzziah, you're looking at a ministry that probably had lasted 60-some years, maybe more, giving a message and having very, very, very few people receiving the message among God's people. Among God's people. You realize? The vision here is for Judah and Jerusalem. Now we know that the northern kingdom, Israel, never really followed the Lord with all their wicked kings. But in Judea, somehow some kings were good kings. And they had a heart turned to the Lord. And it was the case with Uzziah because it says, you know, of his testimony that he served the Lord. Keep your place here. We're going to come back later. But turn with me, if you please, in Second Chronicles 26. And I want to get us into the context and then we'll wrap this all together later on.
So in Second Chronicles 26, chapter 26 and verse 3, it says, 16 years old was Uzziah when he began to reign, and he reigned 50 and 2 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was also Jecoliah uh, of Jerusalem. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah did. So he's doing good. He's doing what is right in the eyes of the Lord. Verse 5, very important. And he sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding in the visions of God. Here's a man that understands the Bible, the Scriptures, the visions of God, whatever you want to call it. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. As long as he sought God. That means he didn't always seek the Lord. But there was a long period of time in his life where he sought the Lord. How did he seek the Lord? Through Zechariah. Through the men of God. Of his days. You know, God has always provided a man of God that we can go to and allow us to understand the will of God for our lives. But this is something that we resent. Oftentimes we resist that. It's still the plan of God. God gave to some apostles. He gave to some prophets. He gave to some evangelists. And He gave to some pastors and teachers for the very same purpose in Ephesians 4.12. For the perfecting of the saints. For the work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. We have, you have a man of God. He's there understanding the visions of God. And he's wanting to help you understand the will of God for your life. So that God can bless you and prosper you individually. But we do our own thing. I'll go see the men of God when I'm in trouble. If, he, if, if I don't like what he tells me to correct whatever problem I may have, I'm going to do my own thing. Why couldn't we just keep in touch with the men of God and help us and let him help us understand the will of God all the time so we can prosper? In our Christian life. That's the purpose for which God give us the men of God. It's not just to call him or go see him when we have a problem. We ought to go see him to avoid being in problems. And find the right way and let God prosper us and bless us the way he would like to do. We're too big for that. I don't need the man to tell me what I'm supposed to do. And I, I know exactly, you know, how I ought to conduct my relationship with God. That's where we're wrong. That's where this Christianity of this day is so weak. Why? 
because we think we stand and we don't need no one to tell us anything. I'll go to church, I'll hear the preaching, and I'll do what I want with it. But man, if you went and took a little time and let the men of God, who's in touch with God, who God is revealing His visions, who God gives understanding about the Scriptures, and you would allow Him to bring a little guidance in your life, you'd be amazed. You'd be amazed at what God could do in your life make it happier in our church stories after stories after stories of people that every time they heard what I had to say and went ahead and did it they prospered every time they didn't big problems every time every time Why? Because I'm so spiritual and so special? Not at all. Because this is God's way. This is God's plan. I mean, He's using a man that He's called and He's sent to us to tell us the things we need to hear and understand and act upon. It's amazing how that we, that people think today, even in you know, Christianity. It's amazing that people don't see the need to gather when God says we ought to be gathered together, which is every time there's church. If we're one body, we ought to do things with one mind, one soul. It ought to be that way. It's amazing that we can, uh, we can go to work and no matter, no matter what the temperature might be, man, we're going to go to work. But when it comes time to go to church, oh, well, I'm not sure I can make it. Well, if I was able to make it to the job, how can I make it to the church also? If the church is important. Everything that goes on in this church, if you're a member, you ought to want to get involved. It's the will of God. It is the will of God. In our church, I don't ask if some want to come and, and join in to do some work. I just tell them. I let them know that we're doing this and that. And, you know, they come. Because it's their duty. It's not my building. It's not my church. It's the Lord's. They're part of it or they're not. If they are, they ought to be there, show up and do something. Yeah, well, you know, I'm hurting here and there and I, I can't do this kind of work and that kind of work. Maybe you can, you know, just broom the place or do something else to help. Hold the tools for somebody who uh, needs a little assistance. Hold a pipe or what not. There's all kinds of things that we can do. This is what it, it is to serve God. It's to get involved to serve others. God says He has formed a body using many parts to make one body. And He says He set the members, every one of them, in the body as it pleased Him. And you know, He says why. So they can profit with all. 
they can bring something to the rest of the body. How would you like to have ears that don't hear or eyes that don't see? Not very profitable, is it? We like all of our, the parts of our body to work perfectly, don't we? Well, don't you think the church ought to be functioning the same way? Every part doing its part to serve the whole for the whole's benefit? It's God's will. It's always been God's will. You'll see it. See, this man here, as long as he listened and sought God in the days of Zechariah, uh, who had understanding and divisions of God, as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. In verse 7 it says, And God helped him against the Philistines and against the uh, Arabians uh, that dwelt in Gerbel and the uh, Mehunims, and so on and so on. He gives a list of, of uh, 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 nations there that uh, God helped him with to fight them. And you know what we see in verse 15 towards the end of the verse? His name spread far abroad, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. God marvelously helped him until he became strong. Verse 16. Look it up with me. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. 26. 2 Chronicles 26. We're in verse 16 now. Second Chronicles 26 and verse 16. In verse 18, They withstood Uzziah the king and said unto him, It pertaineth not unto thee, Uzziah, to burn incense unto the Lord, but to the priests, the son of Aaron, that are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for thou hast trespassed, neither, neither shall it be for thine honor from the Lord God. See, he made a mistake right there. He was, uh, God helped him. He became strong. Now that he's strong, he thinks that he can, you know, do it himself. He doesn't need the priest anymore. Why should I go to the priest and, and ask him to burn incense in, in my behalf to God? I'll do it myself. I've reached spirituality now. I'm a big man. I've grown strong. So I'll go in the house of God and offer my own incense. It's not God's way. It's not God's plan. God says there's one mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus. And we still have to go to Jesus. We still need Jesus. He's Lord. And if He's Lord, we ought to listen to Him. And let Him direct us, guide us. Lead us. And how does he do that? Through the men of God. Through the men of God. Are we so big that we don't need to go to the men of God? Is it too humbling to go and 
and have a little talk with the preacher and say, Preacher, I want to know God's will for my life. I want to make sure I'm not spinning my wheels and, and failing in my life in achieving the purpose of God. If God has given me life, He has given me eternal life, and He's put me here, God has a purpose. You know, God gives gifts of grace, gifts of grace to every person in the body for a purpose. And the preacher is there to help you find those and put them in use. This man... He's grown strong, but he made a mistake. Pride was in the way. His pride got him to trespass against God. Verse 19, when he was rebuked by the priests, when the priests told him, you don't belong here, you should not offer incense. It's not for you to do that. Uzziah was wroth, verse 19, and had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was wroth with the priests, the leprosy even rose up in the for his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord from beside the incense altar. Right there, God brought a curse in his life, showing him what you're doing is not right. You may be the king, but you're not too big for me. You still need to comply yourself to my will, to my ways, to the ways that I've set for everyone regardless on who you are how big you think you are this is for everybody king or no king but see he didn't like the exhortation to get out he was angry at them and because he pursued he was stubborn leprosy was attached to him. And the sad thing is when you continue to read through, you realize that he died in his leprosy and he was set apart because of his leprosy. He was the king. He was doing great. He was prospering. He was going forward. He got strong. He was helped by God. But then he reached the point where he was useless to God. And he was just put aside no use anymore. Too much pride. I don't need anyone. I will decide how my relationship with my God is going to be. I'm going to offer my own incense. You know, incense is a type of prayers. You got a lot of people there that think they don't need a, a pastor, they don't need a teacher. They don't need someone to lead them. Oh, I'll figure that out myself. I got the Bible. I got my books. I got everything I need. Well, it's never been God's plan. Still not God's plan. Church is the pillar and ground of the truth. This is the house of God. This is where we come and worship the Lord. And, and this is where we need to bring... Uh, our offerings and tithes because this is a way to serve God also. God says, where I set my name, that's where you're going to come. You're going to practice communion outside of a church. It would not be scriptural. 
You need the church. You need the church for baptism. You need the church for communion. You need the church to be taught. You need the church to walk in the Lord. He was wroth and he died in his leprosy. Now, when you read Isaiah chapter 6, and you know that in the year that King Uzziah died, the prophet went to the house of God and then God gave him a vision of who he is. And he says, I want you to go and tell these people, I'm a holy God and I want holiness from my people. I want them sanctified, set apart for my service. Why? Because even though this king for many, many years prospered and had the blessings of God in his life, and he was seeking God for many years, there was something wrong in the land. Look with me chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth. God is speaking for heaven and earth. His message here, he calls the attention of heavens and earth to hear this. For the Lord has spoken, I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. This is the attitude, the spirit of the day. Rebellion. They are God's children. He says, I've brought them up. I've raised those children. I've nourished them. But they rebel against me. You mean God failed? With his sons? With his children? Obviously, he did. He nourished them. He brought them up. And I don't think we could ask for a better father than God the Father. Don't you think so? And yet he failed with his sons. Now, is it he that failed or they failed him? They failed him. See, that's the point. He taught them right. He led them right. But they did not receive it. They heard indeed. They saw indeed. But they would not be converted. They did not want to be healed from their iniquities. So, he nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against him. He says, the ox knoweth his owner, and the ass his master's crib, but Israel doth not know, my people doth not consider. We're talking about a situation of a time where a king had ruled for many, many years, a king that was blessed of God. People could see that. Uh, God was with him. He was seeking God for a long period of time in his reign. But somehow, the people are not following him. Verse 4, a sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corrupters, not corrupted. He says corrupters, 
They corrupt others. They're not just corrupted. They're corrupting others. How's that? They have a developed a mentality that things ought to be a certain way. That was fine like that. And we didn't care if anybody had to uh, uh, say about it. This is the way we think it's, it's got to, do, to be. And we're going to do it that way. It's like it is today. Christians are corruptors. People are, are, are failing God. They're disobeying the, the Scriptures, the Bible, the Word of God. And it's like it is, it's an acceptable thing anymore. Why should I go to church every time the doors are open? Well, because God says so. You ought not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. He's not saying how many times we ought to go to church. He's saying how many times we should miss church, and it's never. It's as simple as that. If that's important, how would you like for half of your body to go to work when the other half stays in bed? Would that be practical? Would that make sense to you? So how can a church be just, you know, with half the membership be present when the whole body ought to be together as one? Is it not God's will? You check it out in the prayer of Jesus Christ in, in the Gospel of John chapter 17. And five times he says his prayer is that they may be one. You know why? The reason he gives there, you check it out yourself. Study that text. You, you ought to. He says that the world may know that there's a God. You know what makes a big difference? Is when people come in and they see that you work as one. You are doing everything that you're doing as one. As one body. Everybody together. Something's going on, everybody's involved. There's, there's no question uh, for whether people are going to be there or not. You know, it has quite an impression. But if people come and, 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 and see people that don't really care, they have their own agenda, they do their own thing and stuff, they can be tempted to do the same thing. And you would be causing an offense to them that don't have that knowledge and understanding that you do. But even though we hear indeed and see with our eyes indeed, we don't do with it what we should. And that's wrong. That's why God calls them children that are corruptors. They are a stumbling block one to another. They have forsaken the Lord. They have forsaken the Lord. They're forsaking the assembling of themselves together. They're forsaking the house of God. They're forsaking the Lord. They're forsaking seeking after God, wanting to really understand the will of God for their lives. What is my priority in life? Is it my job? Do I live for that? Can mammon tell me you're going to miss church tonight because I need you here? We have a choice, but we can't serve two masters. And if mammon is more important than God, and mammon tells us you can forsake God, you can forsake the, the house of God, it's okay. You know, it provoked God. That's what he says here. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone away backward. They're not progressing. 
in their relationship with God. They're going backwards. Verse 5, why should ye be stricken anymore? Ye, uh, ye will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. The whole head and the whole heart. We're not talking about a light sin. We're not talking about a silly thing here and there. We're talking about the spirit of the day is rebellious. It's wrong. Because we don't give God the priority he ought to have. We don't look at God as holy, holy, holy. I'm so undone. I need God. No. We take God for granted. We uh, look to him and say... Uh, Hey, uh, up there, listen to me. I've got this prayer now. I've got this need. Would you please answer it and real quick? I don't like to suffer. So uh, please, if you want me to believe you and do anything for you, um, I want an answer on this one. The way we treat God sometimes with so much arrogance. We don't look ourselves as undone and in need of God and, and desperately in need of Him. From the sole of the foot even unto the head, there's no soundness in it but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. Your country is desolate. Your cities are burnt with fire. Your lands, strangers devour it in your presence. They see it, but they do nothing about it. Man alive, the, the devil comes on our ground left and right, and he makes us to fall into his, his filth. And we're there witnessing that and doing nothing about it. That's why sin is growing in a land that used to be filled with true Christianity. So filled with all kinds of depravity now. It is desolate and as overthrown by strangers. And the daughter of Zion is left as a cottage in a vineyard and as a lodge in a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. Except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant, a very small remnant. We should have been as Sodom. And we should have been like unto Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, ye rulers of Sodom. He calls them Sodom now. Jerusalem is called Sodom. Give ear unto the law of, your, of our God, ye people of Gomorrah. He compares them to Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you imagine what God is saying to them? He's looking at them as being as depraved as the world they live in. They're conformed to the world. They're not separated from the world and separated unto God. They're just confirming themselves in the ways of, of, of the, the world they live in. Dressing like the world, talking like the world, for, uh, going to the same places as the world and, and enjoying the same things. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me? Verse 11. Now listen very carefully of what he's saying here. You'll see that he's talking to a people that are religious. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices? They offered a multitude of sacrifices, but it was not, it was not pleasing to God. 
He says, I am full of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts. And I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or he goats. When ye come to appear before me, they went to the house of God. When ye come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to thread my courts? God says, if you're going to come with that attitude, why don't you stay home? Man, if we go to church, don't we go to church to hear from God and when God speaks to us to do something with it? Aren't we crushed in our hearts sometimes when God puts to our face our sins? And He says, I want to convert you. I want to heal you. I want to get, uh, give you the victory over that sin in your life. Is that not what we ought to desire every time we go to the house of God, meet with God, and something's going on? Well, these people had, you know, they were in the habit of bringing their sacrifices and their offerings to God and thinking, well, we're going through the motions. You know, we're doing what Christians are normally doing, going to church, you know, and reading the Bible and doing religious things. But God says, verse 13, Bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons and the Sabbath, the calling of assemblies, I cannot away with. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. I mean, they had more than just a regular Sabbath days and uh, uh, the new moons and stuff, they had special meetings. They had solemn meetings uh, on top of that, but it's not because they were meeting a lot. In God's house, for God's sake, offering and bringing sacrifices and offerings that God was pleased. You know what was missing? Holiness. That's what is missing sanctification and holiness a heart that is searching for god and saying god i have needs in my life i have sins in my life speak to me search my heart show me my heart my heart deceives me lord who knoweth my heart but you god my heart is so wicked and deceiving but the spirit of god has been given to us to show us our hearts your new moons and your appointed, verse 14, your appointed feasts, my soul hateth. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. Do you see how God is discussed here? How He's fed up with a religious people that are religious, and that's all they are, but not righteous? Is that all we want to be? Are we going to justify ourselves before God and say, well, I went to church, I prayed, and I read my Bible, you know. Yeah, but what did you do when God spoke to you? What did you do with it? Did you change your way? Did you repent? Did you go to the preacher and say, preacher, something's wrong here. Help me. I want out of this. What should I do? Verse 15, And when ye spread forth your hands... I will hide mine eyes from you. And when you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. They prayed a lot. 
They went a lot to the house of God. They brought a lot of offerings and sacrifices and they did all these things. Can you see with me in the text that they did all the religious things they knew about and God still called them rebellious children? Why? Because they were an unholy people, unsanctified, unseparated unto the Lord. They were not living it like God wanted them to live it. What's the use to come to church if when you come to church, you don't answer to God, you don't respond to God's call to repent? When God points a sin in our life, do we think that we have no sin? God says, if you say you have no sin, you make him a liar. Do you know that all of us here, we have sins right now? Undealt with? That God is saying, I want this thing out of your life. I want to bring you closer in holiness. I want you to grow in faith and holiness. We're never going to attain it here. But man, we have to strive towards it. We have to be perfected. It's not, I get saved and then that's it. Sanctification, it starts at salvation. And from that point on, you're growing just like a baby. You don't expect the baby to remain a baby all his life. You would expect them to grow physically. Well, when we're born again, we ought to grow spiritually. That means there's more of God in me, less of me in me. I want to be more like Christ. I want the people to know right away when they meet with me, this person is different. Is that the case? Verse 16, wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do well. See, that's what it's all about. Cease to do evil and learn to do well. You're not sure. You're saying, well, you know, I can't really relate to that. I can't really see anything wrong in my life. Uh, you want a hint? Go sit down with the preacher for an hour. He'll help you see it. He, he, he knows you. He's the shepherd, the under shepherd God has given you. He knows the needs in your life. And you know what? If you are willing to receive it, he could help you see what God is trying to work in your life right now that you're not seeing. But he has the visions of God. God gives him discernment. And God allows him to see the needs in every one that he's given him to oversee. Now, he, he, he's not there to force you into something you're not wanting to do. But he can be a helper of your faith if you want to grow. But we're afraid to do that because I might not like what he says. And I might not want to do what he, uh, he's telling me that I need to do. So I'll stay away. You know, I'll just go to church, hear the preaching, and then I'll decide what I do with it. Maybe once in a while. I'll go forward and say, okay, Lord, um, 
yeah, you know, I'm, I got this problem in my life. We hate to call it sin. No. So I got this little problem there, and yeah, maybe good, you know, Lord, if you'd help me with it. You know why we don't have victories many times? We don't want victories. We want to be able to say, I've tried. Oh, I've tried many times to have to overcome this and that. I've tried many times to have the victory over this sin, but I just can't. How in the world can we justify our sins like that? Are we saying God is not able? Are we saying that God can't do it in my case? Can I not do all things in Christ Jesus who strengtheneth me? How come we come to a point sometimes where we say, well, you know, that's hard. I, I really tried, but it doesn't work for me. You, that's what, that, that's the problem. You just tried. You did not submit yourself to God's will and say, okay, Lord, no matter the cost, no matter what it brings me to, I'm yours. Whatever you say is what's going to be. This is sanctification. Sanctification is not reforming your life, changing a few things, and then be in your comfort zone and say, now I've attained to a Christian level, plateau. I'm pretty comfortable with it. And that's where I stop. Where God says, I want to use you. I want to perfect you. I want to show you my grace. I want to show others how that even though you suffer, you go through trials and tribulations. And we've been called to that, by the way. God proved himself to people that have no hope. And they look at us and they see the things we're going through and they say, how in the world can they maintain this kind of a spirit in the midst of all this tribulation? And then they find out you have a God in your life that I've never met. I don't know God that way. Can you introduce me to Him? I want to know the kind of God that gives me that kind of strength and grace that I can go through things that I could not otherwise. This is the kind of God we serve. God is pleased when we go to Him and say, God, help me. I need you. I cannot do without you, Lord. I need your grace in my life. I hate my sins. I want out of it, Lord. Cleanse me. Make me clean. I want to learn of you. That's what he's saying to, to these people. He says, cease to do evil. Learn to do well. Verse 21, how is the faithful city become a harlot? It was full of judgment. Righteous love lodged in it. But now, murderers. They used to be. You know, there's some people, they've been 
in the Lord, quote-unquote, for many, many years. Now, of a sudden, things change. They're not the same as they used to be. They used to be uh, having a, a good spirit. They used to kind of seek for the Lord. One of the saddest things we've had to go through lately, we had to discipline one of the oldest members of our church. She's been there for over 22 years. And she, at one point, crossed that line, that point of no return. And things just deteriorated from that point on. It got bad and it got worse in her spirit. Yet she was maintaining a smile and she would, you know, go along saying the things you wanted to hear. And, and in the eyes of many that had not much discernment, it looked like she was a pretty decent Christian. But she was like Balaam. Like Jezebel. And in the book of Revelation, Jesus said he was not pleased with either one. Because they would influence others to go and sin. By their compromise. By their lack of stand. When somebody has been in the Lord for so many years, more has been given to them. More is expected of them. They ought to be a model to others. Not a stumbling block. Not an offense. Do you see here the same thing I see? That in the days of the King Uzziah, things as had gone down, things as had taken a different turn. Somehow God was not pleased with the people and he did not see how things were going to change. And if you read carefully, you will see that things got worse. Each generation brought more displeased to God to a point where they were worshiping under every tree, green tree there were in Israel. God was pushed aside and everybody was doing their own thing. Ezekiah brought some revival, but you know what? The message that I see here that God is giving to the prophet is you're going to preach that message even in the days of Ezekiah because it's only a remnant that receives it. A small remnant, he says. I don't know for you, but I'd want to be in that small remnant. If others don't want to be, I want to be one that God says, I'm pleased with you. Because you're seeking my face. You're seeking not to please yourself. You're really seeking to please me. And you're making sure that you're not doing this religious service in vain but that it's meaningful to me. Is your service and your life meaningful to God tonight? If not, would you let the Lord convert and heal you? Would you say, Lord, this message is for me. It's been a while since I've come forward and say, Lord, you've shown me sins in my life and I've 
argued with you and debated with you and rebelled against you and and I knew exactly what you were after but I refused I looked the other way and I tried to forget it and overlook it but God will not forget and you'd want to say this is the end of the road with me for that sin Lord I leave it I'll present it and offer it at the altar please take it out make me a vessel unto honor that I can be a testimony a valuable testimony to the Lord Jesus Christ in a wicked city a city that it is so much in need like so many others would you please stand with me with eyes closed heads bowed Father God, we we came into your presence tonight. And Father, maybe we did not expect things to take this turn. In fact, we might not have had any expectations at all. Maybe we just came out of a habit. And maybe, Lord, we realized that we did not come seeking as we ought to. And maybe we are just going through the motions and have been for a while. And now, Lord, you tell us that you're not pleased with that. It's not, it's not enough. You want holiness in our lives. And Lord, you've planted things. You've brought things back to my mind through the Holy Spirit things you're displeased with, things that you've shown me in the past and I've tried not to look at. I'm afraid I can fail. I'm afraid to commit myself, Lord, lest I fail. I've stopped believing in your grace to be sufficient for me. My faith is weakening Father, whatever may be the need tonight, help us not to harden our hearts, stiffen our necks, but to humble ourselves before you, that we may come out of here, Lord, rejoicing in our heart because we know we've done business with you tonight like we've not done for a long time. And we know, Lord, through your spirit that you're pleased with what we did with what you said to us tonight. May the Lord Jesus Christ be glorified with our decisions tonight. In Christ's name, I pray. Amen. Let's bow. The Lord's spoken to you. The music will be playing softly. If you have business to do with God, or maybe you need to come have a little talk with your preacher. If I need to meet with you, preacher, I need to help you put my life where it belongs. Would you do that tonight as the music is playing softly? God's spoken to you. Now, don't worry about who sees and who sees not. I mean, it's, it's not important. And what is important is what 
when you come out of here, will you have that sweet peace of God in you that says, I met with God tonight, God spoke to me, and I did not drop the words on the ground. I acted upon it. I let the Lord convert me and heal me. Would you do that tonight? God's people said, okay, you heard from the Word of God tonight. I heard from the Word of God tonight. And uh, we needed to hear that. Uh, it's just absolutely amazing how God works. Amen? And, uh, you know, uh, we never, I, I never, I don't believe I've, when we've had preachers in, I've gotten asked many times, Pastor, what do you want me to preach on? It's as the Spirit leads, amen? And uh, God always blesses us. And uh, he preaches like this when he's tired. we got to have him down here when he's not, amen? And so, and again, it's the Lord, not Brother Monette. And we praise the Lord for the service tonight. And uh, I'll take you can't just listen to a message like that. You got to do something, and if you don't, what you do is you just harden it a little harder. You just get a little more used to it, the way it is, and uh, let the Lord do that plowing. Amen. Let's take our hymn books, seven hundred and five, and you know you can't you can't live the words of this song until you spend some time at the altar. Amen. Let's take the name of Jesus with us as we leave. Take the name of Jesus with you, child of sorrow and of woe. It will joy and comfort give you. Take it then wherever you go. Precious name, oh how sweet. Hope of earth and joy of Precious name, oh how sweet. 
you for being with us tonight.